so glad that you're here this morning. What a great day to be at church. We are in part four of a series called Tell Me a Story as we look at the, what I believe to be the greatest stories ever told. Jesus was the master storyteller. Um, it said that when he, when he taught to the public and he taught to the masses, he did not teach without telling some type of story or some type of parable. And so there's tons of them. As a matter of fact, at the beginning of the series, we gave out a, uh, a kind of a, a 21-day reading guide so that you could read through all the different stories and parables that Jesus told. And so I know I was just talking to a gentleman. He had all his little check marks next to the ones that he had gotten through so far. And so there are these incredible stories. And here's why these stories are so powerful is because we remember stories and stories stick with us. And stories help kind of shape the way and they help us easily remember. And the goal of all these stories was pretty much this, is Jesus is trying to paint these pictures and tell these stories so that you had a clear picture of who God was. Not only of that, but how the kingdom worked. And what your role in the kingdom was supposed to be. And so we started this journey and we, we started with the parable of what's called the sower and the seed. And really it's, it's really the parable of the four hearts or the four soils. And so we learned that God was a farmer or a sower and he sowed seed. And so what he wanted to do was make sure that he deposited so many good things from his word into your heart that you would live a successful and fruitful and abundant life. Because that's who God is and that's what God wants for you. Then we then we looked at how like God is like basically uh, a king who throws a great feast. And even though you don't deserve to be invited in, God invites all of us in. And then last week we looked at how God is in essence uh, an owner. And this was this was kind of an odd one. He's an owner, and he hires people, and he pays everybody. At the beginning of the day, the same that he paid the people that just came in and worked like the last hour. And people are mad at him. And he's like, here's what you need to know about me. I am extravagantly gracious. The guys at the beginning of the day, I totally paid them what they deserve. And, and since it's my money and my grace and I can do whatever I want with it, I'll give to whoever I want. Don't be mad at me because I'm extreme, extremely generous. Now, today is different, though. Today we'll kind of close up this series, we'll move on to something next week. But today we don't look at a parable that's likened unto the first three. It's a little bit different. Now I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. Are you ready? This is a parable about money. But I want you to be at ease, like you can put your wallet away, there's no offering, you can unclench your fist and anything else that you get up, uptight about. And you can relax, there's no bait and switch here. Does that make sense? This is simply... And let me, let me give it to you like this. This is the big truth that I need you to kind of embrace and accept before we even begin. And it's a tough one. Depending on how you grew up or how you see God and money and church and all that stuff. And I know there's enough bad stories out there and people that were, you know, crooks and did dumb things or wanted to raise money for a jet or whatever the new thing is. That, that there, there's some stigma attached to church and money. And I want you to know this, though, because when you read the Bible and you read especially the New Testament, here's what you're going to discover is that you cannot be a fully devoted follower of Jesus and somehow divorce your faith and your finances. You can't do it. There's, there's too much. As a matter of fact, when you think about it, here's what I want you to know. That when you look at all the verses that Jesus talked about heaven, I mean, that's kind of a big deal. All the verses where Jesus mentioned the idea of hell or eternity, you put all those two together, he still talked about your money, your stuff, and your possessions more than both of those two combined. Here's, here's another thing I want you to think about. When you look at, at, at the Bible, there's 500 different verses on prayer. I mean, we all believe in prayer. You know, when it's all going bad, we all pray. 500 verses on faith, that's a big deal. You know, what, what, without faith, what, what is there really? 2,000 verses on money, 
possessions, and your stuff. Isn't that crazy? So again, the walk away is this. You can't actually be a fully devoted follower of Jesus and somehow say, God, I trust you with my eternity and I want you to help me out and I want you to do all these things, but don't touch my money, that's my thing. Don't speak into my money, that's my thing. You can't actually do that. You'd have to tear a lot of pages out of the Bible. And so today, we're going to look at kind of this big, broad view, like an airplane view. We're not going to get into the nitty-gritty details, but a big... Because here's what you really want to be able to know. How does God see my money? Isn't that important? Like, okay, well, I got stuff, I've got money, but how does God see my money? How does God want me to see my money? Because here's what I know. This is just life. If you will begin to see as God sees, you are more likely to to do as God would have you do. Does that make sense? Let me say that again. If you begin to see as God sees, you will begin to do as God says to do. And here's, here's the other thing I'm going to put you at ease about. I have never seen anyone follow God's blueprint or God's ways when it comes to their finances and make a wreck of their life. I've never seen it. I've never seen anybody lay out the biblical principles of how God wants you to think about and see your money and then make a train. How many seen people wreck their lives with money? Make a wreck of their lives, make a bunch of mistakes, do dumb things, end up in worlds of mess and hurt and drama and just total... I've never seen anybody follow the ways of God and end up like that. And so I want you to know that I'm not trying to get something from you as much as God wants to get something to you. Because God loves you more than you'll ever know and God wants you to succeed and to prosper in life and in all things. Somebody, we just got to trust God on that for now. So this is the parable that Jesus tells. He's talking to a group of people and this is what he says. He, he also said to his disciples, Jesus, he goes, there was a certain rich man, first character of the story. There's a rich man who had a steward. Anytime we see the word steward from this point forward, you can just kind of synonymous with the word manager, manager, steward. So there's a rich guy. He's got his own money manager. That's how rich he is. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting or squandering his goods. So he called the guy in and says to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be steward. Now, here's what he kind of does right here. He basically says, look, I'm going to fire you, but I want you to go settle up with all your accounts. That might not be the best idea. I'm gonna, here's the deal. You can no longer be steward, but I want you to go give an account for all your stewardship. Then the steward says to himself, what am I going to do? My master is taking away the stewardship from me. He's going to fire me. I can't dig. Apparently he was kind of a a wimpy dude. I don't know. I can't dig is what he says. And then he says, I'm too ashamed to beg. You know what? Here's what I'll do. I have resolved what I'll do so that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. Basically, this is what the guy's doing. And you you, you would probably do something similar too. If you knew that you were going to get fired, you would start taking account and think, okay, I'm about to lose my job. I need to cut, I got to cut Comcast. I'm not going to go golf anymore. I'm going to try to, and here's what this guy's really doing too. He's sitting there looking at this fact and this reality. I got a little bit of time left. I got a little bit of opportunity. And I'm going to leverage it all so that I can secure myself a future, so that I can have a place to stay and a place to live. Are you following me so far? This, this is what the guy does. So he calls every one of his master's debtors. Remember, this is a rich guy, had tons of accounts. We don't know what kind of business, but apparently he had people that he dealt business with and had 
owed a lot of money. And notice that he goes to every one of the debtors. He only cites a couple of examples, but every one of them, listen to what happens. So how much money, this is what he says to the guys that owe him, owe the boss money. How much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And so he says to him, well, take your bill, sit down, scratch that out, cut it in half and write 50. Now, how many know you, you would like to be that guy, right? If somebody came to you and said, how much do you owe in your house? Yeah, just cut that right in half. Um, so then he goes to the next guy. He says, how much do you owe? He says, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now, as much as we'd like to be the people that are getting our bills cut in half, how many of you know this guy is a flat out crook, right? Yep. Are we all agreed on that? Because, you know, because here's the deal. Whenever you're listening to the parables of Jesus, and I've taught you this, people were always sitting around trying to figure out, well, I know this is a story about God and me or something. So, like, who, who's God? I mean, God could be the rich guy. God's, God's got a lie. He's, he's wealthy. Um, who's the crook, though? And certainly we, we don't want to be this guy. And so they're all trying to figure out who they are in the story. And right now what we can tell Liz is that this guy is an absolute crook, and that he is totally immoral, we don't want to be that guy, right? That's what we're all kind of assuming right now. Watch this. Verse number 8. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. Is anybody just going, what? What you're telling me is, is that this guy gets totally ripped off, and then he sits back and it's like, huh? That's not, that's not too shabby right there. That's pretty shrewd. You know what? Good for you. I, that's, everybody say commended. This, is, this gives the idea that he was public about it, that literally in front of everybody he was like, wow, <laughs> i got to be honest. You stunk as a manager, but man, you were thinking here. You were pretty clever. That's what it shrewd means, right? You were quick. You were sharp, you were quick-witted, you were thinking ahead. And what this master is doing, now they lived in a what's called an honor-shame culture. In an honor-shame culture, this guy could have, if he wanted to, gone to all the clients and say, hey, look, that guy was totally, he wasn't speaking on my behalf, you know, you wrote down 50, just cross that out, right back 100 again. But he doesn't because they live in an honor-shame culture, and it would have been more shameful for him to go and, and, and try to, like, make do. Plus, he was rich and he didn't really care anyway. The other thing you have to recognize, too, is, is that he enabled this guy to do that. He fired him but said, go clean up all your accounts and then bring them back to me. And so you got to remember, this guy basically gave this bad, unjust steward, the license to do what he did. But what the, what, the, what the rich guy says is, is like, that's pretty crafty of you. I actually think that he was thinking to himself, he goes, you know, like, I'm a savvy business guy. I made a lot of money in this life. You know what? I actually think what you did was pretty, pretty smart here. And here's, here's why. It's because you had a little bit of time. You had a little bit of opportunity. And you leveraged it all so that you would be secure in your future. Now, let's keep going on here. Verse number 8 still says this. For the sons... Now, this is Jesus talking. The parable is done, and Jesus picks up. And it says this. For the sons of this world are more shrewd. Everybody say shrewd. Y'all are still confused about this parable. I can feel it right now. I'm going to make this all make sense. And just give me ten minutes. So, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons 
of light. This is what Jesus said. So Jesus backs away from the parable. Now, Jesus doesn't commend what the guy did. Guy was clearly a bit on the shady side. But he says this is the point and the principle and the walk away is that this guy was more shrewd. People in this world, that's what he said, the sons of this world, meaning this. People who don't even believe in God, people who don't believe in eternity, people who don't think that everybody lives somewhere forever, everybody that you know, doesn't believe in the Bible and God, they are more shrewd when it comes to their money and their stuff and their future than the sons of light are. That's what you need to know. Like, they're more thoughtful because people of this world think, how can I get ahead? How can I make sure that I've got some for in the future and so I'm taken care of and I'm going to do everything I can to secure my future? That's the way the people of this world think. He goes, the sons of light ought to think like that from a kingdom perspective. And here's, here's why I know that. It's because Jesus... Now, how many know when Jesus told parables... A lot of the time, people had no idea what he was talking about. Some of them were kind of confusing. This is the most confusing parable that Jesus tells. When I talk to anybody about the parables, most people skip right over this one, or this one's like, man, um, let's just keep reading. Let's get to the next one. Where's the one with the virgins or the the, the, the sower or something? And so this is the confusing one. But Jesus explains this one. He only explains two or three, and and thank God he explains this one because he makes it incredibly Makes sense here. Are you ready? He goes, and I say to you, and now he's going to give a command. Does that make sense? Now, whenever Jesus says, do this and does it in a command, you ought to pay attention. And Jesus says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. Everybody say mammon. Now, I'm going to explain mammon a little more in a second, but, but think of it like this. Temporary wealth. Does that make sense? Jesus could have used any word that just said money, but he used this one specifically. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he, in essence, he's talking about temporary wealth. Now, again, how many know you don't get to take any money to heaven? I don't care if they put a woman on that $10 bill. You can't take it. I don't care who's on the 100 how many Benjamins. It doesn't matter. You don't get to take none of it with you. So it's all what? Temporary. He said, I want you to make friends for yourselves by this temporary money so that when you fail... Now, here's the deal. This is referring to when you die. So, I don't know if anybody knows this or not. You're going to die. There's this incredible statistic. One out of every one person dies. If that scares you, we should talk. But you're going to die, okay? So, I want you, this is Jesus' command, I want you to make yourself some friends with this temporary money so that when you die, they, everybody say, my friends, yeah, you guys say a little something on it. My friends, they may receive you into an, everybody say, everlasting. So is Jesus talking about your, 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 um, your retirement home? No, he's talking about an everlasting home, an eternal home. So this is the big command. Because remember, the question was this, how does God see my money? How should I see my money? And the command was this, is I want you to use your temporary wealth. To somehow make some eternal friends so that when you get to heaven, somebody is there to greet you. Here's, here's, here's what we'll put it like this. God sees your money as a tool. It's a tool. Isn't that what he says? He goes, I want you to think of your money as a tool. Something to use so that you can actually... And now this is what the whole New Testament teaches. If you read a lot of the New Testament scriptures, especially what Jesus taught earlier about laying up treasures in heaven and whatever, when you, when you see it, what we'll, we'll see later, is this is what we know. Is that somehow, when you get to heaven, there will be people... 
I don't know if they just walk up to you as you're coming through the pearly gates and Peter waves you on. I don't know. This is all those St. Peter jokes. And so all I know is this, is that when you get to heaven, the picture is this, is that there are people to greet you and there are people to say to you, hey, I want you to know that the only reason I'm here today is because of what you did back on earth. What an incredible thought to think that there, there could be children who say, you know what, I wouldn't even have gotten the chance to live. I would have never heard the gospel message but because you were making them food packets with the, with the weird food. Uh, that's the only reason I'm alive. And because of that, I was with a Christian organization and I heard the gospel. And I'm here today because you gave. I, I, you know what, I, you don't know this, you, you know, you don't know me, we never actually met, but I came to New Beginnings Church and I got saved and I got baptized on Easter and I got this and that and the other and you've never met me, but I want you to know because you tithed and you gave and you made an environment where I could hear the gospel, I'm here because of you. And I'm so excited, this is the picture that the New Testament paints, that I don't know how it's going to work and I don't know much more detail than that, but here's what I know, is that God wants you to use your money, just like the other guy did. He wants you to think about your money and say this. I got a little bit of time. Because I don't care if you're 80 or 8. You got a little bit of time. It's not that long. You got a little bit of money. You got a little bit of opportunity. I don't know how, how rich you are compared to God. It's still little, right? It's little. You got a little bit of time. You got a little bit of money. You got a little bit of opportunity. You got a little bit of everything. And I want you to leverage it for kingdom, everlasting, eternal purposes because the way god sees your money is a tool and i want you to begin to change the way that you think about your money. i want you to think about it because most of us when we think about our money we think about mine that's my stuff this is what i get to go do so i get to go buy my trinkets and my things and my hobbies and i get to go shopping and i get to buy that card i get to go take that trip and i get to go do all these things and that's my money and that's how i see my money is my money is mine and my money is my stuff and bless god i worked hard for this that's what we tell ourselves I worked hard for this. You don't know what I had to sacrifice and I had to do. And, and, and God's saying, no, 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 be careful. Be careful because you're going to miss some big ideas here. Remember, you had nothing when you got here. You got nothing when you leave. And I even gave you the power to work. Who, think you, who, who, think, who do you think you got that brain from? Who gave you the ability to think and create, to work hard, to do what you do? God gave you that. Everything came from God and everything goes back to God. You're here for a little bit of time. And you are the owner of nothing and the steward of everything. But what I want you to do is, as the steward of everything is I want you to leverage it. For eternal purposes, because your money is a tool. Let's, let's keep going, because Jesus says more. This isn't the end of the explanation. How I many know that would be too small of an explanation for such a weird story? So, he says this next, verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, the, remember the temporary money that you have, if you have not been faithful in that, who will commit to you? Everybody say true riches. So Jesus is painting a picture that, hey, you've got to remember there's something better than this. Whatever stuff you can collect, there's that, that's riches, then there's true riches. There's something that's temporary, then there's something that's everlasting. You need to know, like, it gets better. That's all you need to know. It just gets better. Whatever you think is good now, whatever we get there is better. And you need to know that when you think about your stuff, that, and, and here's the way it pictures it, right? It seems as if God is watching you, isn't it? Isn't that kind of the description, though? Is that he's watching you. He goes, hey, look, if you're unfaithful with what you think is just a little bit, then I know that I can't trust you with a lot. 
Because if you can't be faithful with a little bit, you can't be fa- How many know you, that's the way life works, right? That's why you give your kids responsibility as they show themselves responsible. At least I hope you do. Or when you think about employees that work underneath you, you watch how they do the little things because you know if they're careful and thoughtful and mindful and diligent with the small things that you know you can trust them with bigger things. And God is no different. And what God says is this, is that he, he basically saying, I'm watching. So I want you to know, I see your money, God, as a test. Nobody's liking this one right here. God sees your money as a test. Do you know that? Like, I want you to think of it like that. That, that. Remember, you're the owner of nothing. You're the steward of everything. You're the steward in the, in the parable. Now, whether or not you're going to be a good steward or a bad steward, that's totally up to you. But you're a steward. And God is watching. And God is wanting to see what you do. Because here's the other picture that the New Testament paints about heaven. Is that heaven is not a socialistic euphoria where we all float around on clouds and sing songs. All right, nobody gets wings, nobody gets some little chubby fat baby. They have to smell their heads. And... Anyway, it doesn't work like that. The way that the Bible talks about heaven is that there is reward and that there is responsibility in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but this is what I know about me. I like reward. I think you do too. And I, and I know this, like, I don't want to be in charge of like, you know, how many know like you got these chores at home? And, and, you know, back then it was washing feet, but today it's like you got poop patrol. You got to go pick up the dog poop in the backyard. I don't want to be on poop patrol in heaven. I want some legitimate responsibility. You know, I want to be running kingdoms and kings and cities. And I, I want to be in charge of some cool stuff, okay? I don't want to be in poop patrol. And so God sees all of your money as a test to see what you will do with it. And based on how... Now, here's what... Listen to what he says here. I, I didn't write this stuff. I just read it. Okay? Verse number 12. And if you have not been faithful... In what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Now, here's what you need to see here. This is, this is going to be genius for somebody. Somebody's going to, the light bulb's going to come on. God is looking, based on these couple of verses here, at three things, depending on, these three things is depending on how much he rewards you and how much responsibility he gives you in heaven. I want you to think about these three things. Number one is this, is just money. The way that you steward and manage money is a reflector of how well you can steward and manage other things in life. The second thing is this, is how do you manage what is seemingly insignificant? Do you take seemingly insignificant things about, oh, that's not a big deal, I don't even worry about that. Oh, that's, you know, that's, if you shrink everything down and cast it to the side and say, well, that's not a big deal, so I won't give it my full diligence, then that's an indicator. Because if you can't handle little things with diligence, then you won't handle big things with diligence. Never kid yourself into saying, well, if I ever got to here, if I ever got that position, or if I ever had that much money, then I would really be faithful, then I would be really be diligent. You won't. And that's the way God judges it. And the third area is this. So one is money, two is seemingly insignificant things, and the third one is this, how do you handle other people's stuff? Like when you borrow people's stuff, how do you handle it? Because it's real easy, isn't it, to like take the rental car and, and speed bumps become launching ramps because it ain't yours and the transmission, if it falls out, it don't matter, it ain't my car. And if I get a, you know, if you get a ding, they're going to charge you for that. But anyway... How do you how do you handle when you borrow your neighbor's whatever? How do you treat when somebody loans you this or that or whatever? How do you treat that? Because here's what you need to know. Number one is this, is that the money that God gave you, God gave you that, right? So that's God's. The, the second thing is this, it is insignificant compared to God, right? So it's it's money, it's insignificant, and thirdly, it ain't yours. And so God is judging, God is watching, God is using how you handle your stuff as a test to see how well he can trust you. Now here's what I know about you. 
You want God to trust you. You want God to reward you. You want God to give you blessing and God to give you increase and God to prosper your life. So the question would be this. How trustworthy are you? Because this is the way that God sees your money. He sees it as a test. Now listen, this is not about heaven and hell. Okay? This isn't like, hey, if you don't manage your, you can split hell wide open. You know, you're not getting in. This isn't heaven and hell. This is about something so much bigger than that. This is about God wanting to bless and increase your life here and now and in the life to come. Number three is this. Watch this. this. Now, this verse right here may be the linchpin to the whole thing. This verse right here gets crazy. So we looked at verse number 12. How do you handle other people's stuff? Verse number 13. No servant. Everybody say no. Meaning no one, nobody, no servant, nobody's excluded. You can't be the exception to this. You can't kick back and say, no, Todd, that's for other people. That's not really for me. If you, if you really knew me, then you would know that I can handle. Okay, so no... I got one laugh there. I don't, um, no servant can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and then despise the other. You cannot serve God and, everybody say mammon. So here's the, how he wraps up the whole thing. He said, you need to be aware, not only is your money a tool to get other people into the kingdom of heaven. That's big. Not only is your money a test to which God judges how well he can reward and give responsibility, but you need to know this too, is that God sees your money as a trademark, like a brand, like a stamp, meaning like, just listen to it. No one, no servant can serve two masters. He's talking about who you serve and who you belong to. And here's the big walk away. How you think about, how you treat, and what you do with your money is an indicator of who you really serve. And it got quiet up in this Methodist church, man. We just got, we got an Episcopalian or we ain't Pentecostal, that's for sure. Pentecostal people would be amen to me. Pentecostal people would have like a hanky or something. Y'all got nothing. Let's continue. God sees your money as a trademark. That's what you need to know. It, it, not, it determines how you think about, treat, and do what you do with your money. It determines whose you are. It's a reflection of whose you really are. He uses this word mammon. One more time, everybody say mammon. So mammon, now Jesus could have used a number of different words in, in the Greek language or in the, in the Hebrew language, but he uses a specific Aramaic word called mammon, which basically was their word back then, and, and, and it, was, it just meant kind of this idea of riches, and it came out of Babylon is where it came from. Now Babylon has this historical essence to it all throughout the Bible, and God is compared to mammon here, right, as someone that you can actually serve. And here's what we need to know, is that no, nowhere else in the Bible do you see like, oh, you can't serve God and the devil. Oh, you can't serve God and yourself. You can't serve God and this. The only time you see it compared is him saying the word mammon, which I believe this is that if you can serve something, it's a spirit in essence. Does that make sense? Like it's a thing. And so he said you can't serve both of them. So we've gone beyond just saying temporary wealth, although that's part of it. He's saying that there's something in the unseen realm that is affecting the seen realm. Does that make sense? And there is a spirit behind why you do what you do. 
There is a spirit behind the way you think about things. Like, I don't know if you know that or not, but like the way you think about things is incredibly culturally influenced. And the where that comes from is this unseen spiritual realm that the Bible speaks of. And in these unseen spiritual realms, you have angels and demons, you have all these different things. And, and I think the Bible is referring to the spirit of mammon, this, this, this influencing spirit, because here's what we know. You can't just serve money, right? Nobody ever took a stack of cash and went, ah. You know, nobody ever did that. We're talking about something greater here, something deeper, something more spiritual than that. Because money is spiritual. And it either has the spirit of God on it or it has the spirit of mammon. This is why some of you get so unnerved when we talk about money. You ever thought about, why do I get so worked up? Why do I get so pent up? Why do I get so emotional? Why, does it, why do I struggle with it so much? Why do I kick back and fight against it so much? You ever wonder? Because there's a spirit attached to that thing. There's something internally or externally that's motivating you or pushing you. And so here's, in essence, what I think about when I think about money and when I think about mammon and the way that it works in your heart and in your mind. If you ever think about your life, especially when you run into problems... If your mind immediately goes to this answer, man, if I just had more money, that would be the solution. That's mammon. Because it convinces you that money is the solution. Let me, let me help you with it. Money is never the solution. God is the solution. Okay? God is, now, if God uses money to bring about, that's fine. But God is the solution. Money is not the solution. If, if, if you ever sit around and think life would just be so much better, I would be so much happier, I would be more fulfilled, these people would like me so much more if I only had a little bit more money. That's mammon. That is the influencing deal in your heart and in your mind that says, man, if I just had more of this, life would be better. If I just had more of this, things would be better. If I just had more of this, problems would go away. If you sit around hoping that there is a rich Uncle that dies, whom you do not know, if you pray that you stumble upon a lottery ticket and that that is the money Powerball thing, whatever, if you sit around and just daydream and think about all this, I'm telling you that's mammon because mammon says that money's the answer. But I'm telling you it's not. And that's the motivating factor. And that's why you kick back against the idea of surrendering your stuff, surrendering your finances to God's will and God's ways. It's because you believe in the, the deep parts of your heart. It's influenced down deep inside of you that money is the answer. That's why you think you need so much more of it. And that's why you are fearful of ever losing it. Because you think money is the answer. Money's not the answer. Because Jesus said you cannot serve both God and Mammon. You could use a different word for money. Use mammon. You can't do both. Either you're going to love the one and hate the other, or you're going to be loyal to one and despise the other. So your money actually becomes a trademark to prove who you really serve and whose you really are. Isn't this challenging? And this all came from like some corrupt little little punk servant that jacked over his his his, his boss. How did Jesus come up with this stuff? The very next verse actually says that the Pharisees heard this and because they loved money, they sneered at him, which is the reaction. Because when you love money, remember, what, what, did, what did Paul say? Paul didn't say that money was the root of all evil. Money's good. Money's a tool, remember? Money's fine. When you put mammon on it, it becomes something different, but, but money in and of itself is fine. But the love of money is the root of all evil. What is the love of money? That's mammon. As I love it, I need it, I crave it, I want more of it, and I think about it constantly. I desire it, and I fear it leaving, it, it leaving me. That's what, that's what my life hinges on. 
That's mammon. And Jesus is saying, I want you to so break free from that. And I want you to begin to see as God sees so that you will do as God does. Because I want you to know that God is the solution to all things and that God is the answer to all things. And yeah, money is something that God wants to use in your life. He wants you to use it as a tool. Not only is it a tool, but it's a test. Not only is it a test, it's a trademark. And that's the way that God sees your money. What if we began to think a little bit differently now in light of that? Now, here's, here's the deal. There's such a kickback about, about taking these first steps. And I told you this is just an airplane view of how God sees your money. This is like the big picture. We can get into the nitty-gritty and the detail later. There's a different series you can pick up or whatever. But he, here's what I want you to know. God loves you and wants to see you prosper. And doing things God's way will actually help you prosper even more than doing it your own way. Now, I've never seen anybody adopt the principles of the Word of God and adopt the ways of God when it comes to their finances and do something stupid and go broke and go insane and go wreck their life and wreck their family and commit suicide. I've never seen it. Here's what this is like and unto. Um, My son is about to turn 12, and because of, you know, health class and whatever, I was forced into having the talk with my son. And which is really kind of weird and uncomfortable. And so if you've ever done this as a dad and you have a son, you've got to have the talk. You know what we're talking, we're talking birds and bees, right? Y'all tracking? Y'all with me? And, and, and here's the deal. When you start introducing girls to an 11-year-old, the kickback is, ew. Oh, that's gross. No, I don't want to do that. And I'm, and then, you know, again, I've got to get more into depth because he's getting older and I've got to actually teach, you know, Parts and plumbing and how it all goes down. And it's just, you know, it's a little unnerving. It's a little uncomfortable. And he looks at me and he says, oh, dad, because he knows we have three children. And, and he says, you had to do that three times. And I just smiled because I said, son, if you had any idea, it might wreck you right now. You might, you might not sleep tonight. I mean, you could have nightmares. I don't even know what could happen to you if I told you the real truth right now. But my point is this. My point is, is that when you are young and certain things seem foreign to you, they are, ew, and they are gross, and I can't believe you got to do that. But then something happens, and you, if you experience it God's way, then all of a sudden what used to be, ew, is mmm. And so you... you you change. Something changes within you. And no longer is it ew and a turn off and ugly and how could they? Because listen to me, I've got people in this church who could get up and testify and say, hey, look, I've been a tither since and I've been a giver since and I give offerings here. And here's what I know is that God is the centerpiece of all my financial decisions. And I see my money as a tool to help build the kingdom of God. And I see my money as a test and God is watching. And not only that, it's an indicator and a reflection of the quality of my heart and where my heart is at. And when I do things God's way, I am blessed. And there are people in this church who will stand up and testify to that. And I'm telling you, nobody goes broke going God's way. Nobody wrecks their life going God's way. Whatever kickback you have, I promise you right now it's ew. But I promise when you experience it, it's mm mm-hmm. And so I want you to know that for you, for some of you out there, it's about taking a step, taking a leap of faith, taking a, a, a move of trust and say, God, I realize this is new and I realize that there is a tension and a struggle and that that is mammon. And I want to break that off of my heart because I don't want to serve anybody other than you. I don't want to listen. What did Jesus say? He said, you cannot serve both God and mammon. The thing that is, tr- is basically struggling and working for the ownership of your heart is that spirit of mammon. God said, I don't want that thing over your life. And think about what mammon creates. Out of mammon flows greed. Out of mammon flows materialism. Out of mammon flows that fear of loss. Out of mammon flows that that central of self. 
I'm telling you, out of it flows everything. God said, I don't want you to go down that route. There's a route that's so much more abundant and so much more blessed and so much more significant and so much more fulfilling. And if you would just trust me, it's very easy. you need to take that leap of faith. For some of you, I, I don't know where it is. I'll let the Holy Spirit lead you. But for some of you, it's giving for the very first time. For some of you, it's to take the step from, from, from tipping God to tithing and becoming a percentage giver and saying, you know what, I'm going to dedicate not, not just a percentage, but the first percentage. And I'm going to pick a percentage because I, I get up and tell people like tithing is 10%. And they're like, I could never do that. Then listen, start somewhere and make it a goal and a prayer to say, I'm going to increase it every year until I get to 10%. And I'm going to reshape my life to make sure that I see my money as a tool and I make sure that my heart is okay and that my, my heart is reflecting who God is in me, that I don't want to be, are you hearing me this morning? Here's what I know about God, is that God wants to see you prosper, and God wants to see you blessed, even more than you want to see yourself blessed. The problem is that we get so caught up in the idea of trying to get ahead and trying to get more and trying to, and we've missed it because we've got caught up in doing it the way of this world, and we forgot that God knows best. Let's pray this morning. Father, we pray and ask God that you would help us as your people, God, to break that mammon thing off of our mind and off of our heart. God, I pray that we would allow your words to shape the way we think, that your words would shape the way that we feel, that, God, we could change somehow from the inside out and, God, begin to surrender our stuff to you. God, help us to come to that big idea that it all came from you. It all goes back to you. We are stewards in the meantime. And while we are stewarding, God, help us to use our stuff as a tool to help other people get to heaven. God, help us, God, to surrender our heart and our mind to you and let every aspect of our life be surrendered as well. God, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can you give a little big hand clap this morning?